Hi, this is Dr. Mike with Jake Uncleman, and you're listening to the Neuro Noodle Podcast. Welcome to Neuro Noodles, Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring tech legend Jay Gunkelman. He is the man who has read over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The Neuro Noodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide workshops in Madeira Beach, Florida. They're led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. Earn up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. Mind Media, get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from MindMedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor caps is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit MindMedia.com now. So, so Jake, can we use that to test food or, or liquids um, for it, various contaminants? In, in fact, it's it's a wonderful way to end up identifying a lot of things. Uh, what we set it up for was specifically to look for emissions coming across a fence line. But you can use the same laser technology for lots of things. Um, uh, uh, measuring distance, you know, uh, um, uh, the coherence of laser beams, um, yeah, that is your wavelet uh, off a little bit. You can actually measure stuff very, very, very accurately. In, in fact, uh, beams from uh, space, uh, NASA has been measuring sea level rise uh, very accurately from space. Um, uh, the, yeah, you, you, you can measure with a, uh, uh, less than a millimeter uh, what, what's, what's the height of, of uh, the ocean in an area. So, uh, uh, it, 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 lasers are uh, becoming more and more and more common. Um, uh, 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 sorting food products um, in a in a production facility. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> my brother built a uh, uh, human food processing plant in Fargo, North Dakota, of course, and that's, that's what we call Pete. <laughs> and uh, and and the. Uh, and it's all done with compressed air. Now, a normal plant would have a drag bucket or an auger to move the, the seeds around. And uh, this uses compressed air. It's like a gigantic controlled hurricane. Uh, but uh, it has little electric eyes and lasers. The lasers will, will identify the size of the seed, and a little puff of air will sort it onto one side or the other of a, of, of a, of, of a bin. Um, so you, you end up uh, separating uh, nut meat into smaller and bigger nut meats and everything, all uh, automated. Oh. Um, yeah, but lasers are used for measurement and detection, uh, but they're also used for speciation of, of the quality of the air. Uh, actually, the lasers we used in the refineries had been used previously, but most people didn't know about them. Remember the Gulf War? Not the recent one. No, no, no. Back, back, back. Remember 
uh, Saddam Hussein. You know, he was hiding in the little caves and whatnot. Well, when we finally uh, got all that settled, we had uh, um, uh, inspectors going around. And the inspectors would knock on the door of a facility, and the facility would say, who's there? Uh, it's us inspectors who say, wait a minute, we'll be back tomorrow to let you in, <laughs> you know. And in the meanwhile, they're dumping or flushing or burning or whatever. And how do you know what they're doing? Well, you set up a laser downwind, and you see what you pick up in the lasers downwind. They had weapons inspectors that used lasers. Now, they weren't using the way we're using them. Uh, they were using more uh, like they had traditionally been used in a cloud chamber, a, a meter diameter laser with a meter length path is a cloud chamber, uh, a, a meter, yeah, a, a, a cubic meter of uh, area uh, to, to look at uh, gas interactions within. So they were using that in an open field uh, with a, you know, maybe a 20 meter length or a 10 meter length or something like that uh, mm -hmm. downwind of these facilities. There was nobody who knew how far a beam could be shot and still work, uh, how long the averaging time needed to be. The design of the fence line system for refineries still had to be done, and that's that's what we did. Um, yeah, to, to actually doing the testing to see can you shoot a meter long beam? Yeah, we can. Can you shoot a kilometer long beam? We don't know. Well, let's do it and see. So you know that we, uh, we 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 kicked the tires quite a bit on on the what had been being done by DARPA um, and uh, and turned it into a a pollution detection system. But I, I, I've been messing with uh, EIR stuff for a long, long time. Sierra Club called me an EIR hitman. Uh, um, they, they would hand me a you know, stack or a stack of, of documents and say, this project, wherever it happens to be, is, is being proposed. Uh, we want to know uh, what's wrong with it, um, uh, w whether there's an Achilles heel that can stop it, or uh, what we can do to fix it and make it operable in a in a better way. And uh, during a weekend, I would flip through all these technical documents and find the Achilles heels, and um, it, 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 it's not that hard to find. You know, computer modeling is a great way to hide everything. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know... Uh, recently in Vallejo, California, they had a proposal for a cement grinding plant. They were going to bring in uh, toxic slag from Asia and grind it into cement for cement. Well, this is like a, a, a few hundred meters from a grade school. That's downwind from it. it when was c cement powder a good thing? You know, uh, grinding toxic waste to turn it into cement isn't something you want to do in town, you know. So uh, the proposal was ridiculous, but it had been ramrodded through, and it was um, the planning committee uh, six to one voted it down. Uh, the city council received the advice from the planning committee and decided that they needed to let them go one last round to try and finalize it, but the public comment period was closed. I just moved to town. So no public comment period, but I could look at the documents, and I flipped through the documents, and I saw fraud 
just out and out fraud. Uh, um, their, their buoyance, they were, you know, if you're, if you have a smokestack and you've got stuff going up the stack, you have to model the deposition of the particulates. What goes up does come down. I think we all agree on that, you know, basic science. You know, what goes up does come down unless you reach a, 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 a velocity to escape. You Elon know. Musk. Yeah, but uh, uh, the smokestacks don't have that kind of velocity. So we expect what goes up the smokestack to come down. So you have to model that. So you've got rural modeling and you've got urban modeling because rural, everything is kind of flat with some trees. Urban, you've got buildings with downwash and, and turbulence and whatnot. So uh, they used the wrong model. Uh, they used a buoyancy coefficient that floats particles. Re um, regulators look at 2.5 micron size particles. So they floated everything from two microns on down. Now, two microns floats about as well as a bowling ball. You know, um, 0.2 microns you know, a little brownie in motion kind of keeps them bouncing up almost like a gas. Mm -hmm. So if you use real values, 0.2 on down, probably you can float. Um, however, particulates at one micron in size adsorb 99% of all the heavy metal toxicity onto these super fine particles. And they go straight into your lung and do not come out. One micron sized particles are respirable, uh, but they go into your alveoli and are absorbed just, it's like an injection. So um, they're, they're floating 99% of all the toxic heavy metals out of their model of exposure. So the toxic exposure of the plant is under model. And when you see them doing things like that and other things, yeah, that that the, they had done lots of things. I lined up all the things that they had done wrong, and uh, the acronym for all the things they had done wrong spelled bullshit uh, somehow. So um, I, I I I handed that uh, document to the air quality management district, and the staff there circulated it in the the regulatory body like the funniest joke they'd ever seen, you know. Uh, the, uh, I, I think this project is bullshit. Um, so, uh, and some, and it was in a five, my comments were in a five minute public comment period before the city council, not part of the regulatory process at all, not at all. They could have gone, Hmm, your five minutes are up, leave us. Don't ever come back. And I wouldn't have had any recourse, but somebody heard me say, their document is a fraud. You should actually charge them because they submitted under penalty of perjury. You should charge them with perjury uh, because the document's no good. Somebody heard that, went to the state district attorney general, and he assigned a 35-year experienced EIR specialist to look at the document. A couple weeks later, the city got a, a letter from the, the state saying, you can't use the document for this project uh, for the basis for a decision. It basically, they agreed with my position. This document is so full of holes that you can't use it. So it killed the project uh, with a five-minute comment 
uh, having looked at their computer modeling and found a couple of Achilles heels in the project. But I had already killed a couple of other projects. One, uh, um, a garbage burning plant in a, in uh, North Richmond, California, which at the time was almost all uh, poor black people. Now it's mixed Asian uh, population as well. It's still very, very, very poor. Mm. In a community like that, the people living there are looking, where's the next step going to be? They don't look at the horizon line and what project is coming down the pike at them, so they don't see it coming even, really. And uh, we, we came in outsiders, you know, none of our business, I got a big nose. I stick it in everybody's business, and um, so it, uh, you know, I uh, I commented on the buoyancy calculations and the lack of uh, proper modeling and whatnot. And their their project had to redo a bunch of modeling. Anyway, they came to a stop as well. They sued me for forty two million dollars for the loss of the contract with PG and E for selling power. Well. That's a slap suit, strategic lawsuit against public participation. And a slap suit, what do you do? You have to slap back. You know, you, you, you can't just let them slap you. Uh, you, you you've got to slap back. So I countersued the five directors of the district personally. Not the district, but I sued the directors personally. They didn't have DNO insurance. Yes. So we could go after them individually. Yes, uh, fifty thousand a piece. Um, uh, their their suit was thrown out of court, uh, with the judge actually chastising him in, in open court, not in chambers, but in open court. If I ever see anything like this from you again, I'll have your license to the lawyer. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, don't mess with Jay. Don't their suit it. went away. My suit won, but you know. $250,000 of bad karma money you don't want, you know. So uh, the Sierra Club Legal Defense Fund is there to receive money like that. And um, I didn't want it. Um, you know, this litigation money is, I, I just assume leave that for somebody else. So, and, and I had a good lawyer and, and he represented me well. And, and uh, uh, so somebody's not going to have a good lawyer and they're going to have to have the money. So. Uh, yeah, that, don't mess with Jake. Mike, question for you. Gosh. You study a lot of things, okay? Your chiropractor, uh, neurofeedback, uh, dietary. Everybody's got something, but it's not just one thing. It's like an aggregation of life. How do you explain that to somebody? Because we're in a society where, hey, man, just fix it. What's the problem? Just fix it. I want the answer right now. Where's the pill? How do you deal with that? Oh, yeah. I, I, I love that question. Jay, thank you. I, I just have to say I'm still reeling from your story. I, I'm so excited about your, your uh, nailing these captured agencies and these captured people. And I could I could talk all day and, and ask you more questions. I'm so excited about what you did. And, and this is this is the biggest need there is. So anyway, I'm sorry, Pete. Well, hold on. You can that's find my, more on the Jake Mike story. That's my that's my avocation. Uh, that, yeah. that's my, I never ever take any money for my avocation. Oh, I yeah. do that for fun. Yeah. You know. So. Well, it's it's something. I, I was I, I was I was just talking yesterday with James Lyons Weiler, who's a scientist who who was who was studying some of the same type of injustice of 
toxins with regard to children and outcomes and different vaccines with Paul Thomas. Uh, and, and, um, and he does a lot of air quality work too, which is kind of a non sequitur right here. But, but the point is, we were talking about toxicology in the air, toxicology in vaccines, toxicology of adjuvants, toxicology of everything just yesterday. And so I'm, I'm so glad to be talking to you about this. And, and I really think that EEG is going to be one of the ways, along with some of this laser spectral analysis and other types of um, particulate analysis with regard to ed, um, uh, adsorption that you talked about, I think there's going to be a lot more discovery coming out because there's so many captured agencies and so much badness happening. And there just isn't enough technical people with time to chase it down and and i'm willing to do it you're willing to do it and i, I we have to talk about this more jay we have to talk about yeah. this more so anyway i'm just yeah. this is the most important thing well it's it's what i've done for fun i'm i'm stem you know science technology engineering math and yeah. and when you're a stem person you look around there's stem things all over the place Everywhere. to deal with and yeah. and the you know if you can't figure out something to focus on you're, you're just scattered that's your problem not that there's not something to focus on. It's a target-rich environment, yes, sir. Yeah. Well, Pete, um, so, yeah, so I, I think it's it's a that's a target-rich environment, too. I talk to patients all the time, and I try to tell them, like a like a STEM person, I say, you got to think a little bigger than your average MD or your average, you know, crack-the-back chiropractor. You've got to think broader, and you got to think about, okay, if I've got a bunch of things going on in my life, let's first list them all so we know they're there and we're not unaware of them, and then let's prioritize them. And that's hard. I, I'm not going to tell you that isn't hard. And it shifts. You know, sometimes a person presents and their, their main complaint in their life is those migraines. And then after they do some work, it ain't the migraines anymore. It's the it's the dysmenorrhea. And, and so their priorities shift and the severity shifts and, and the severity of their lab findings, the severity of their imaging findings, the aggression of whatever pathology is happening to them changes. But I, I try to start them out with kind of an explanation of how did I get in this bloody big mess? And, and so we have a longer conversation usually in, in the first few visits where I try to talk about, let, let's draw a timeline of your life from when you were born until now, and how did all these different things blossom in your life, and are they related to each other, or are they less related, or are they more related? Did one thing drive the next thing? And so I try to figure that stuff out. I mean, um, I mean, Jay, Jay, do you think that your brain tumor was from those chemicals exposure? No, no. My brain tumor happened uh, before I, just before I was a fetus. Oh, wow. Um, uh, uh, my, mine was uh, a rafty pouch cyst, okay. uh, which is a form of craniopharyngioma. Uh, when, when you're uh, you start out as a, a fertilized single cell, two cells, four cells, you form a little round blastula, and then you flatten out and roll into a tube. And the neural tube, when it forms, when the seal, when it seals, seals some outside cells on the inside. Mm -hmm. uh, Everything inside the tube and outside the tube are epithelial cells. They're, they're like skin cells um, for outside of you, but your your internal pathway is also outside of you. So, um, but you seal some epithelial cells and and endothelium. Normally, they're found at autopsy as a benign finding. My Rathke pouch cyst had saved me from an AVM, which it had surrounded. My the, the AVM ruptured repeatedly for 42 years, blowing the, the cyst up like a balloon, slowly, smashing the pituitary. You know, the cella tercica is supposed to be half the size of the tip of a little finger, about the size of a pea. And it's a bony cleft that the pituitary hangs down in. My cella tercica is the size of a golf ball. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's it, it's gigantic. Yeah, here you go. This is what Jay's talking about. Yeah, it, 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 down the little tiny bony cleft where your pituitary hangs down in it. And mine, the, the tumor eroded that cleft. So, uh, but it, the, it couldn't contain the entire tumor. So the, the body of the tumor was in the cella and the tail of the tumor wrapped up over the top of the chiasm. So I had a yin-yang symbol. Uh, 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 my MRI looks like a yin-yang symbol, half of one in, in the middle of my head. I'm a little Taoist by tendency, so I, I had to get an, a copy of that image to, uh, to keep, you know. Um, I had no idea uh, of any of this, Jay. Thank you. Holy cow. Well, anyway, you can, you can watch the Jay Gunkelman story parts one, two, and three. <laughs> well, I, I saw this. the documentary. I saw the documentary, but... Um, um, uh, the yeah. documentary doesn't go into a lot of stuff. But the, yeah. All my environmental stuff is kind of... Yeah. The, that's, you know, yeah, yeah. They thought they shot 36 hours of film and, and came up with the two hours of the documentary. If they would have focused on the environmental end of things and and you know my weird uh, health in more depth or something, that that it would have been an unworkable project. Uh, you know, so um, yeah, an Oliver Stone, an Oliver Stone project, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, as a documentary, it turned out pretty well. I mean, London Film Festival, we won the the feature length documentary award, uh, the best best documentary, and. Also, the Science Award uh, for, for International London Film Festival. So, although I couldn't get into the Fargo Film Festival, I grew up in Fargo. So, <laughs> That's uh, uh, oh, oh well, you know. Uh, what, what were you talking about a minute ago, Pete? You were talking about a. I was just trying, film? you know, parents. Let's just talk. Uh, Johnny comes in and, oh, yeah. hey, I want to, you know, he's got ADHD. Uh, here's a Snickers bar. Uh, yeah. Go sit in the basement and play video games. You know, everybody's got something. It's just not one thing. It's an aggregation of life. And how do you explain that to the parents that, hey, look, it's exercise, it's diet, it's uh, DNA, right? It's a yeah. holistic. When they hear holistic, uh -huh. I, I don't think they dig that term. Well, Pete, I mean, this is a good question, and I think we have a cultural amnesia. And so what I try to tell parents is I try to tell them stories. I say, there was this guy, and I have all these wonderful names of people in my head. I'll be like, there was this guy, Jay Dunkelman, who did this thing. Or there was this guy, Ben Feingold, who was looking at hyperactive children. Or there was this guy, Robert Mendelssohn, called the, the medical heretic, that talked about when you go to the hospital, you got to bring a tribe with you to make sure that you don't get them to take the wrong organ out. Uh, there was a, you've got to talk about Duff Wilson um, in, in Quincy, Washington, who worked with, with Patty Martin to look at at, at uh, fertilizer and how toxic fertilizer was, was brought in and spread around the United States and, and how Patty's husband got brain tumors and, 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 and you've got to tell the story of other people yeah. that have already faced this stuff. So what I do is I tell them stories. I say, did you ever hear about the Nestle boycott that happened when I was a child? Did you ever hear about the, 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 the problems of General Mills and the problems of, of Monsanto and the problems that, that Von and Shiva has fought against? Have you heard these stories? And then when they start to discover that there is a, a, a long tide of, of, of injustice behind them about food and about chemistry and about heavy metals and about uh, captured agencies, uh, you know, the, the kind of work that, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is doing with, with, um, with, um, um. Turn up the 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neurosciences Neuroguide workshops. 
in Madeira Beach, Florida. They're led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with a link, appliedneuroscience.com, slash attend, hyphen ng, hyphen workshops. Earn up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at appliedneuroscience.com, slash attend, hyphen ng, hyphen workshops. Mary Holland, his, his general counsel, I mean, they're suing the pants off of these agencies, and they're winning, and it's working. But it's slow, and it costs a lot of money. So anyway, I, I try to tell them stories about, you know, you're not the only parent who has a kid that might have a problem that reacts to food. Have you heard of haptins? Have you heard of lectins? I draw a lot of bad art on the screen because I'm a terrible artist. And I, I have, I have, I have uh, 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 whiteboards everywhere. In fact, there's a, that whole wall is a whiteboard in my office right here. This is my home office in Denver. But I've got whiteboards everywhere, and I draw terrible art. And I think it's good because the worse of an artist you are, the better you can teach. Because you draw such dumb stuff that you... <laughs> it makes people really get it because it's four lines and a circle. And, you know, I suck at art. But because of that, I, I don't use a lot of color. I just use a big fat marker. And, and I use a lot of white paper and a lot of white whiteboards. And I just draw stuff. And so as I, as I do that, I try to tell them the story of you know what, what's gone on and, and what the history was. And if this has happened before... If it's if it's something that you know other parents have dealt with, and, and maybe there's a group like um, you know um, the Feingold Network, or maybe there's a group like uh, the Carnivore Group, or, or some kind of um, like uh, Low Carb Down Under is a really wonderful yeah. uh, channel on on um, uh, cardiologists and, and lipidologists. I mean, when you see a lipidologist talk about Lipitor and triglycerides and LDL and VLDL, and they just blow uh, the, the 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 statins out of the water. Yeah. It's amazing. I didn't even know lipidologists existed before several years ago. It was, it, you just have to watch these things. So I try to turn people onto YouTube. I try to turn people onto channels like yours because we've got to educate them, but we've got to compress that education into minutes. So we have to do something really fast that grabs them and says, hey, this might be related to your kid's symptom. Do you know that zinc and copper have a lot to do with violent behavior? Uh, do you know about William Walsh who, who looked at, looked at 10,000 violent criminals in the Chicago prison system? And he was able to diagnose most of them with some kind of imbalance in their chemistry and repair them and make them nonviolent. 10,000 people in the Chicago prison system. This is Bill Walsh, and he's still alive today. He's a mentor of mine. I just had a class with him last month. He's doing it right now. He's doing, and, and for the last seven years, he's looked at addiction. In fact, Jay, I wanted to ask you again. In, in 72, 74, something like that, you did some work with addiction. And, and you, you, you really brought forth some a couple of different waves in EEG that you were you were reversing addiction with two different profiles of, of the addicted brain. Yeah. And 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 I wanted you to, to mention that again if if you if you wouldn't mind. I'm sorry if sure, I derailed sure. you. I just I'm, I'm dying no. of curiosity here. Can you bring, mention that again, Jay? Sure, not a problem. Uh, um, uh, from '72 to '75, I had the state hospital lab, the first state hospital lab in North Dakota, uh, Jamestown, at the state hospital. And um, it was in the alcoholism drug division, and so uh, and we were looking at EEGs, and of course, the alcoholic, uh, the classic EEG in an alcoholic is a low voltage fast EEG with no alpha. And you know, drive, dial back to 1972. What what are your EEG training options back then? Well, SMR or alpha, Camille uh, or Sturman. And maybe Burbomber if you're into European slow particle potential, but basically, uh, um, you know, uh, somebody with no alpha 
I'm 21 years old. I'm thinking, gee, no alpha. Maybe we should try some alpha. You know, so you know, the, the, no depth to the neuroscience, just kind of uh, plugging along. But we trained alpha, and the people that learned alpha training when they were discharged didn't come back. And in a state hospital with a 90 plus percent recidivism rate, when somebody doesn't come back, they notice it. And they start to think, well, what they do, die in a bar fight or, you know, <laughs> so, so something happened, but they're not coming back. And so we, we, we literally wrote a grant in 1974 for NIH to fund, which they did not fund. Um, but we had, uh, we, we successfully trained alpha in alcoholics. Now, Peniston's work uh, came out in 88, 89 when they published. Now, they had done it for a few years before that, but uh, that, that was a totally separate group from us. And uh, basically, um, uh, when I came up with a phenotype model, I wanted to look back at addiction because we had seen the alpha training and everybody's talking about alpha theta training in, in uh, addiction as a protocol for the DSM category of addiction. Mm -hmm. So, um, being into the phenotype model, um, uh, we, we, we wanted 30 people so we could start to look at the data a little bit. And uh, when we looked at the data, we found the phenotypes that were present, two-thirds of the addicted population had over-arousal. And in the EEG, that's either very fast alpha, which is you have to have a high arousal level to have fast alpha, or if your alpha is so fast it's no longer rhythmic, that's a low voltage fast classic like the alcoholics, or beta spindling. Those are three over-arousal patterns, and all three of those patterns in the phenotype paper in 2005, we, we matched them up with alpha-theta training. Now, the beta spindle gets SMR, then alpha-theta, um, the, the uh, low voltage fast gets some SMR and then alpha theta, but alpha theta was definitely part of the training, uh, a key part of the training for two thirds of the addicted population. The other one third didn't have an over arousal, it had a singulate problem. They had an OCD drive, not an arousal problem. So um, they, they have to fix their obsessive compulsive drive towards the addiction, or they'll simply switch. Oh, I can't drink anymore? Okay, I'll gamble. Uh, I can't gamble anymore? Ah, sex. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, wow. the, the singulate is really very flexible. It'll find something to lock onto. Symptom substitution will happen. So uh, uh, Peniston got 70% success, and everybody thought that was so fabulous. The 30% he wasn't getting needed anterior singulate work. At the end of one year follow-up, we had 30 people, still all clean and sober, all had Woodcock-Johnson standard score improvements of about 20 points. Hmm. They went from about normal to superior. Uh, uh, delayed recall was terrible and it went to normal. But the, uh, that, that was, it, this was all published in a, in a, a special edition of the uh, Biofeedback, which is APB's um, kind of a magazine-like journal, like... Um, Anyway, it's a, uh, it, it's uh, basically we tried to look at the phenotype model and addiction to see what the phenotype distribution was, and uh, it ended up giving us a little bit of an insight into the 
drive mechanisms underlying addiction. And in psychology, isn't it supposed to be the case that if you eliminate the drive that the behavior goes away? You know, so uh, that, that's all we were doing is eliminating the drive of over-arousal or a singular problem. And sure enough, the addictive behavior that was associated with it just disappeared. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that, that AAPB paper was also 2005, or is it the same paper? Uh, the, the No, no. The 2005 paper was the original phenotype model. The addiction one, I think, we wrote in 2015. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Sorry, Pete. Um, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I just no, I, no, no. I, I got this opportunity to. to no, to, hey, to guys, I'm here for you. I'm just, just you know, can't, we, I can't help myself. It's a free for all. It's a free for all. Question. Okay. Yes, so you're explaining it to the parents. Hey, this is what, what's going on. Parents say, uh, okay, just uh, send it to my insurance company. <laughs> okay. Alternative, the DSM. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, paying for it, okay, cash clients. I hate pointing the finger without offering a solution, and I brought this up before, and some people have poked holes in it. And I, Dr. Mike, I'm looking to see what you think of it. I like call, where you're call, going. Call, call it the Jay Gunkelman Pledge. Call it the Neuro Noodle. Whatever it is, if you have free time, because there are some clinics, offices that have free time, and they have some technicians. You have gaps in the schedule. Um, whatever you pay that technician, pledge that, hey, you know what, for for Johnny that's out there that can't afford the full price of an EEG, come on in on that free time. I'll do it at cost. What is cost? It's cost, air quotes. Whatever you pay the tech, run an EEG. Here's the report. No diagnosis. Just so you have the 30 pieces of paper or whatever the software is that you use. God forbid something happens, at least there's a baseline to compare it to. And it gets people used to, hey, you know what? That EEG isn't that bad. What, what do you guys think? Poke some holes, Mike. Well, I, I want to give you just a touch of background on me. Um, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I actually did run a free clinic in Missouri. Um, and uh, it was all free, completely free, to the people of the Ozarks, which is the second poorest region of the United States. Um, and uh, we worked with a lot of families and people in the area. It was, it's rather close to, to the Bentonville, Arkansas, um, corporate head of Walmart, for example, um, down there in the corner of Missouri. And um, we had a retreat center where we would help people, and we certainly charged for that. Um, but none of, the, none of it was insurance. None of it was accepted by insurance. None of it was accepted by Medicare and none of that stuff. So we, um, we, we did this work. We, we kind of had a parallel program. We, we had actually, I, I was a peon, you know, there. I was, I was, um, a clinical director. I wasn't on the board of directors. I was a clinical director, and um, so I was responsible for food, and I was responsible for diets and supplements and examinations and record keeping. And we had a, a orthomolecular psychiatrist who was in charge of all the mental health and the counseling, and he taught me a ton of stuff. But in any case, we had a staff of about thirty, and we had we had bought. Um, they had bought. I, I didn't buy any of this. I was a kid. You know, I just got out of school. I was my first job. And um, um, they had bought uh, the U.S. Olympic Judo Training Center and uh, turned a 2,000-acre facility into a 100-bed um, retreat. And so we were taking on all kinds of things from, from uh, eating disorders to depression and anxiety to family issues and, and um, uh, seizure disorders, all kinds of stuff. We had a retreat where we could control the food, we could control the, the environment, we could, um, it was a little bit before the Internet 
as it is today. So it was, um, you know, it wasn't quite such a problem with cell phones, and, and we kind of had people put their machines in, you know, in lockers and only use their only use their computers one day a week or, or their phones one day, you know, one day a week. Um, they could access them, but back then it wasn't such a big deal. So they would do workshops, and all day long they were doing workshops. They would sleep there. And so I, I really enjoy giving back to the public. And one of the ideas I'm working on right now with my web designer is um, we're working on a program in the future to do some kind of grand rounds where the patient never pays, where the, the grand rounds is an online system with doctors from around the world. And the patient comes on, they'll go through a filter system where they have to sign some waivers. But once they're on, if they're willing to, to give up a little privacy, they don't have to pay a dime ever. And so I'm working on that and it's, got a lot of bugs but we're, we're working working through it and, and it's going to come out sometime in the future um, and um, and it'll be a paid program you know like when you watch Joe Rogan but but you have to pay for it but um, but the, the person the, the actual guest I can't call them a patient because at this point the regulatory agencies would make sure that they're not considered a patient but they're a guest and that guest pays nothing and we do follow-ups and we follow people and we be responsible and we take care of them and they get doctors from around the world including um, I've got doctors from Europe doctors from Asia imagine if you could just get online from you know a little hut in Africa and 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 use your little cell phone and, and have 15 doctors from all over the world weigh in and take a look and say what you might consider doing next so anyway, let's get back to your EEG idea. So please, um, <laughs> you, you asked me about the EEG idea. So the EEG idea is fantastic, and I, I, I love that. And um, and, I, and I do quite a number of free um, free scans. And so tell me a little more. What, what you're proposing that, that all of us as practitioners do EEGs and, and submit them? Or, well, or that well they... everybody's operating in a silo. Let's just say yeah. that uh, there's an advisory board. Jay Gunkelman's the head of it, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's an approved place you've gone yeah. through the training and whatnot so you know what you're doing and you just have free time where you just pay the technician whatever it costs for them to do the scan and you 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 do it and you just give them the report the pdf or whatever and yeah. that's it yeah. you don't no, no diagnosis nothing but something happens in the future at least they have that initial snapshot of the brain now, a lot of things could happen between now and then. I get it, but at least it gets them in the habit of, hey, you know what? It's not that bad. The, the, the barrier to entry is the price of the amplifiers, and those are coming way down. It's going to be to a point where we're going to be sending these things to, you know, to households so they do it themselves. But till yes. we get to that point, there are so many uh, athletes that are out there. There's so many counselors that could use uh, this. And there's so many individual practitioners. This isn't regulated. I mean, you guys know this. So everybody's operating in their silo, and it's been going on since the early 70s. I'm trying to organize everybody to come together with a brand that can go worldwide. It says, oh, I know what that is. Okay, I trust that. Yeah. Jay's watching over it. Go on in and get a scan. And that could also be a marketing opportunity for the, the clinic that they want to come back. Hey, wait, wait a minute. What's this big word mean? And they, they go to Dr. Google and say, I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, Pete, your idea is brilliant. You must have been inside my head. Um, I've, been, I've been talking with a company that I uh, have been advising for years um, that, that does a lot of work, free, free work for the military and for soldiers and stuff. And, and um, it, it used to be called Sarascan, and now it's called Illume AI. 
and what they what they were is a, a bunch of really brilliant um, defense computer guys that, that started doing spect imaging and PET imaging. And the PET imaging and spect imaging fell apart over the years because General Electric wouldn't reduce the cost of the, the patent that expired on the, um, the, the, the fluid that you have to inject intravenously to get a, a spect image. You have, to, you have to inject a radioactive dye that, that pretty much you know, emits gamma, gamma rays, not gamma waves, but gamma rays, ra radiation. And, and of course, that's picked up by a CT scanner. Jay, you know all this, but I'm telling this for the for the for the public uh, watching. Um, so they they moved from from doing this scanning to a model of doing data processing. And and what they're trying to do right now is they're working with the ISNR and and, and Mark uh, Mark Jones uh, to actually work uh, to have you, Jay, um, lead a program that that they're they're already talking with 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 Mark about. To lead a program where um, any members could submit data that's been that's been standardized by a team of ISNR people that decide, okay, what's each clinic going to submit? Psychometrics, QEGs, ERPs, lab data, maybe static posturography, which I'm into because posturography affects mental health. Hey, it does. Since 2005, we've kind of known some of this. Anyway, um, the cerebellum has a role in depression, we think. Anyway, so let me just, um, I digress. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a system where uh, the members could be able to, each individual clinic could do exactly what Pete's saying. They could fall under a brand and they could submit data with varying levels of permission and varying levels of, of, of um, de-identification uh, so that they can be analyzed by individuals with eyes or, or eye. And, um, and, uh, and, and it can also be analyzed through AI because AI is not smart. It can't do everything. And it, it, can, it can miss some really obvious things. So we need to have a combination of two things. But the neat thing about this is we'd be able to query the data and ask for correlations using, um, using some, some you know, edge and, and vertex theory, which is part of the information process. Now, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no data scientist like Regine um, Eichler-West, who was my mentor for the, for the, um, the, the QEG diplomate. She's a data scientist, and she could go on and on about this. But that's what they're working on: is they're trying to be able to create a system that does exactly what Pete says, that would run through, say, Jay and Yuri, and be able to say, "Here's a bunch of data. Let's collect it all. Let's Hoover it up, and let's analyze it using edges and vertices with this this um I think it's called group theory or dynamic theory or something. I got it in a file over there. The, the, the scientist told me about it this week, and I forget the name of it. I think it's called group theory. But anyway. Um, they, they look at all this stuff and, and where they meet, and, and they can be able to query not just articles on the Internet, on PubMed, but they can also query the data that we submit. Now, we could submit one person's data, like, say, um, the famous uh, Greg Charbonneau has some wonderful data from his clinic. He would be able to query one patient over the course of many, many, many visits. He's got hundreds of visits uh, of an individual, pre and post QEGs and serial QEGs. He's got every data point from every neurofeedback session. He's got every medication they're on. He's got every diagnosis they've been given. So he could plumb and query that one patient for data. He could also query every patient with that same diagnosis in his practice. He could add his to other people that had um, gathered data and, and query you know, uh, multiple practices that had patients with crossover diagnoses, like dual diagnoses. And so the, the, the power of this tool is unbelievable. And the, the University of, Cal, of Colorado, um, or Co uh, Colorado University at Anschutz Medical Center, just down the road from me, is using it right now with Illumai, looking at, at bipolar disorder and predictive analytics for, for children before they become old enough to be officially diagnosed with bipolar and predicting which ones will be diagnosed with bipolar versus not. 
So I, I, there's a huge opportunity, and it's already in motion to, to, to get toward you. And if it hasn't got to you yet, Mark will be talking to you about it because um, they're, they're working on it, and they have, they have lots of plans and, and lots of work with the military, and they want you. So, um, right. so Pete, your idea, is, your idea is perfect. Keep doing it. Yes, you are right. Mike, what I'm looking for is open source, where there's a depository where you strip the person, you know, the, the data. That's and what you, this would be. Okay. Uh, this would be a one, huge one database. Place. One place, one database. It all goes in one place. Yep. And and you and you, it's the battle of the business plans, uh, the databases, you know, yeah. uh, capitalism. God bless it, but it's you know, we still have a bunch of people saying mine is best, and when you do that, the public looks at it, it's like. I don't know what to pick, so I'm not going to pick anything, or I don't believe anything. You know, well, if, if those people do that, they're inexperienced, because what usually happens when something gets big enough is you have joint ventures, and they all just work together, and they make agreements. So that to me, that's not an obstacle. To me, all you do is take the databases and, and make um, agreements and, and scopes and boundaries and contracts that are joint ventures, and they all work together, and they all share the data, and, and they all divide the pie. That's done in corporate America all the time. Jay, you got more in your little pinky finger than I know about this. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think? Well, I I think that your approach would be ideal to present to high school and college level sports. Uh, the pros are already on their own pathway towards getting these kind of things, but you've got to do this early. I mean, by the time you're in the pros, how many whacks of the head do you think you might have had? You know, and 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 which one of them may have been significant enough to have had you probably, you know, want to take a little break and recover before you get back on the field. So um, if you have a baseline study, you can then actually compare it to something after an event, whatever the event might be, uh, whether it's a uh, an event that you think is damaged your uh, your your ability to function, or uh, you know, I don't know anybody that's been hit in the head and it suddenly turned into the genius. But if that happened, you'd end up having a baseline for that as well. But um, having a having a base EEG ends up allowing them to make a conclusion. There's a lot of borderline findings that don't stand out unless you can show that these are new or different than what the baseline was. The, the, um, and quite honestly, um, uh, if you're looking for gigantic Z-score outliers, quite often uh, the, it, it's more subtle than that. And uh, it, it's not necessarily a gigantic Z-score. You have to remember, Z-scores in the databases are univariate measures. And we have a multivariate processor you can have a highly abnormal multivariate pattern where every measurement within the multivariate is okay in univariate space, but the multivariate pattern is abnormal. And that's that's exactly what Illume AI is doing. It's amazing. That's you right on. I'm so excited to hear that. Right hemisphere a half a z-score high in delta. Left hemisphere a half a z-score low. Oh, nothing significant here in univariate space in multivariate space you go oh my god this guy's having a stroke or uh, you know something's significantly wrong here 
you, you shouldn't have a dramatic asymmetry like that. Um, but it's not dramatic in univariate space. It's, dr it's dramatic in multivariate space. Mm -hmm. I, just and, I just think there's something out there with, let's just take 23andMe, where the more you put your data in, the more the, the percentages of likelihood come out. Uh, it's like ways. You know what? I saw a cop. I'm going to put it in there because I may need that information, you know, one day, you know, paying it forward. There's got to be some mix where DNA and, and, and the, the scans are in, in the one place and it shouldn't cost that much to, to have better mental health. And then the people that read the EEGs where there's money in that, do that, right? Yeah. Quit, quit, quit hoarding all the information. You know, getting the baseline study for cost or even for free if, yeah. if, if it develops your practice, having a, a loss leader is not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, it's done in marketing all the time, you know, uh, happy that's a, meals. That's a win. That's kind of so, where I'm saying it's a win-win. You have downtime. You can keep yeah. your tech employed so they don't skip out to another clinic. And then you have this steady flow of people that are coming in. And they're going to take it back home, do their Dr. Google, and say, you know what? Let me see what's going on here. And you're, the high schools and colleges, Jay, you're right on the learning disabilities and all that, you know, yeah. dyslexic. I, I, I don't even get into it, but guys, we've really worked overtime here, man. <laughs> Dr. Mike, yeah. we got to bring you back on, man. You, you got game. I'm so I have. happy. Jay, thank you so much. Pete, this has just been a dream of mine. I am so happy to talk to you guys. James Lyons Weiler yesterday. I mean, it's like it's like Christmas in <laughs> December. <laughs> Christmas in Susan City. Yes. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're hoping to have another little gathering next year. And uh, the Yacht Club is happy to have us back if we're, oh, yeah. we make it. So Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a member now. I wouldn't yep. miss it for the world. I wouldn't miss it for the no. world. Gentlemen, okay. thank you thank so you. much. Thank Thanks you for, for your time and interest. Um, I have to say, um, we're trying to avoid later life problems before they can even exist if we can as well. Yes. Um, in Richmond, California right now, AstraZeneca has a toxic site that they cap but there's no side barriers and the cap when sea level rise and groundwater rise happens are going to bring up the TCE into bioavailability in the homes they're trying to build on top of this toxic site. Oh my. Now TCE, uh, trichloroethylene is a solvent, uh, highly toxic. Uh, just directly toxic, but low-level exposure leads to Parkinson's disease. So let's say you lived in an apartment building that was built on top of this toxic waste site that they're saying is cleaned up. Um, it, well, we're, we're not saying it's cleaned up. In fact, we've got a pretty good argument that it's not cleaned up. And we're in the midst of that with the Department of Toxic Substance Control here in California, uh, uh, trying to uh, get them to change their 
ancient sea level rise prediction levels to more modern prediction levels that are going to show that this actually will uh, mobilize the toxicity into public exposure. So, and we've got academics from UC Berkeley and um, uh, politicians. Um, the, the city of Richmond uh, city council was just uh, voted in an entirely new slate of people uh, that are going to end up um, stopping these kinds of projects that were ill-conceived, um, uh, you know, environmentally, uh, but uh, economically, uh, you know, proposed. And that was Richmond, Virginia, Jay? Uh, well, th this was AstraZeneca, which was a stopper and uh, general chemical site at one point in Richmond. Richmond, Virginia? Richmond, California. I'm sorry, Richmond, sorry, sorry, Richmond, California. Yeah. Yes, sir, thank yeah. you. And the AstraZeneca site basically was uh, uh, that uh, uh, they have uh, deeply buried toxic substances, and they've, they've, dumped toxic, they've dumped other toxic stuff to mix with it to neutralize it um, and all sorts of things like that. They've tried to concretize the soil to keep it from being mobilized. But, you know, groundwater coming up is going to mobilize all of that. And the, the, uh, the number of sites that are along the bay that were capped from the top but not from the sides are going to end up being all mobilized. It's just a matter of time. And uh, uh, there's actually a, a large uh, uh, group, environmental consortium, that's uh, focusing on that issue. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've been involved in, in, in that at a at a fairly high level, but right now I'm much more focused on sea level rise for the town I'm in, because one foot of sea level rise will wipe out about 800 homes here. Yeah, yeah. So, God, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you, Jay. Anyway, um, it's been fun. Uh, right. Have have a great day, and uh, we'll, we'll have to do this again. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide workshops in Madeira Beach, Florida. They're led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops earn up to 16 ceu hours sign up now at appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops mind media get the latest eeg and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com their semi-dry sensor caps is a wonder to see and their eeg amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades Neurofeedback and QEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now.